Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Friday, October the 6th, 2023. Uh, in association with my friends at C-SPAN, uh, we've been examining the 10 books that shaped America. C-SPAN are running a fascinating weekly series on these books. And we began uh, with uh, my friend Peter Slen, who uh, is the uh, producer, uh, executive producer of the show and featured on the um, on the show. Uh, he's the interviewer. We began uh, with his first show, which focused on Thomas Paine's Common Sense, uh, one of the great books, not just, I think, in America, but in terms of the world. It was one of the books that shaped the world. We moved on to the Federalist Papers. Uh, we talked about how men weren't angels and therefore they needed politics, one of the uh, most remarkable books, I think, in the history of political thought. Now we're moving on as America begins slowly to mature. We're focusing on the third book, The History of the Expedition Under the Command of Captains Lewis and Clark. Very different kind of book, Peter. Uh, I wonder whether it reflects the fact that we're not angels. It's a book about uh, American colonialization uh, of its hinterland, of the continent. Uh, very sharply different kind of book this from the first two from common sense and the federalists isn't it uh, it is it, common sense the federalists kind of about america's foundations and some of our enduring uh, you know how we think of ourselves lewis and clark this is about the expansion of america and you are right there is a there is a, a bit of a stain here especially when Meriwether Lewis writes that um, this will be the first time that civilized man has ever crossed some of this unknown territory. Well, first of all, the use of the word civilized, the use of the word unknown, uh, you know, rather, rather Eurocentric, I would say. To put in, it mildly, in, that you're, you're putting in it politely. In 2023, we can, we can say that this was a rather Eurocentric view of ourselves. Um, so their 8,000 mile, 28 month adventure, which basically you could say kicked off in Philadelphia or Pittsburgh or St. Charles, Missouri. There's the, uh, there's the actual. Yeah. For people watching, right we have a, a map of the, the expedition. Yeah. Um, they, uh, they did some pretty remarkable discovery and when they returned in 1806, they gave it to. President Jefferson. It was his idea to begin with in 1803, and they gave their journals, 5,000 pages of journals, back to Jefferson. Those journals were not published in a book until about 1814. Now, our guest that we had on, Stephanie Ambrose Tubbs, and historically oriented viewers will recognize her name, Stephanie Ambrose Tubbs, daughter of the great historian Stephen Ambrose, who died uh, around the year 2000. But um, she was a remarkable guest in describing this journey. She's lived on the Lewis and Clark Trail. She gives tours on the Lewis and Clark Trail. 
And it was a pretty remarkable hour and a half and really, really enjoyed it, really opened my eyes. And as she said, this book did not start to impact, shape America for 30, 50 years after it was published, when when people started using the Missouri River heavily for commerce, using, and the, the whole territory was opened up to, you know, uh, Euro-Americans, essentially. So, uh, Peter, there's no doubt that this was a remarkable voyage and enormously important in terms of the history of the United States. I never would have expected the book to show up. Um, tell me what, what is it about the book that's so important? Oh, you know, partially, well, first of all, this comes just as a reminder, the Library of Congress came out with a list of 100 books that shaped America. These are not bestsellers. These are not the greatest books in the world. These are books that had an impact on who we are as a nation. And this book was included. And there is a real sense in the states about, you know, going west, about expansion, about going into the unknown. Uh, we have been an exploring people to say the least. And it was important to include this because our goal here is to look at different topics, different eras, different viewpoints. And this was one that, that attracted our attention because of the westward expansion and, and uh, uh, the exploration aspects of this. You mentioned that um, Jefferson received the manuscripts. How intimately was he involved in the publication of the book itself? He was not involved. He had, uh, uh, he was not involved in the publication of the book. He was involved with, it was his idea. Let's, first of all, we're going to purchase, and I'm going to put that in quotes too. We purchased, you know, a, half of the country to Louisiana territory in 1803 um, from the French. So here is, you know, and, and the Americans buying property from the French, which it was already populated and had several, you know, Native American Indian tribes, nations living in it, but we purchased this property. So he wanted to have it explored. And the purpose was to push commerce and to push the expansion of America. It was for security, it was for commerce, etc. So he was very involved in the idea of this exploration. And um, he was not involved in the publication of the book. The book was published again in 1814, 5,000 pages of journals. And this is what the book is. It's journals. Is it readable? I have to admit, I haven't read it. Is it, is it readable? I mean, if someone just picked uh, it up, would it be a lot of fun or is it rather dense? Uh, it's, it's written in very flowery language and you get a description of what they're seeing, uh, who they're meeting, um, the flora and the fauna, the, the, the uh, Indian nations that they are meeting with, their daily adventures, bear attacks, what it was like to see the Rocky Mountains for the first time. So it's not as if it's a 400 page tome. It is, you know, 
May 26th, 1805. Here was our day and here's what we experienced and et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's readable in chunks. Um, one of the outstanding aspects of this is, is the misspellings and the sounding out of words. And so it, it takes a little bit of extra effort to read this when you see some of the, some of the misspellings, medicine is spelled M-E-D-E-S-E-N, uh, fruit, F-R-O-O-T. So it, it, it takes a little bit of extra effort to get through all the misspellings. Now, Meriwether Lewis was Jefferson's and Mary, uh, Mary uh, uh, Stephanie Ambrose Tubbs has written extensively on this. She's written a couple of really remarkable books on it. She has, and uh, she's written her companion guide, which gives you a sense of what the, the, the trail is like. And her other book is about Sacagawea, the Shoshone. Yeah, I want to get woman. to that. But, uh, I, I want okay. to get to that actually later. Um, but P Peter, when we, you know, it's rather like, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, Holmes and Watson or Fish and Chips. Um, we always think of Lewis and Clark together. They even look yeah. rather alike. Both look rather like late 18th, early 19th century white colonial gentlemen. Was there a difference between the two? And in terms of this book, uh, was it mostly written by Lewis or Clark or both? Is it a genuinely joint production, a Lewis Clark production like the like the the voyage the, the 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 expedition itself? Yes, on both. Meriwether Lewis was Jefferson's private secretary and a military veteran. Jefferson asked him to head this up. He chose Clark, and he told William Clark they knew each other from the military. And he told Clark at the beginning that they, this would be an equal, equal command. And Meriwether Lewis wrote perhaps 40 to 50% of the Lewis and Clark journals. And I would say William Clark wrote 30%. Then there are some other people who wrote in the journals as well. And these were people who were on the expedition among the four dozen or so that started on the expedition. They also contributed to. So the it's kind of like the Federalist Papers. It's a, it's it a is. team product. Yeah, it is. It is. And how and honest is it? Um, did they leave stuff out? Did they sugarcoat it? Uh, there was not a lot of sugarcoating. Um, I don't think there was. Like I said, it, it was a little, little flowery, and. Uh, dramatic such as when they first saw the rocky mountains or well, it's pretty impressive when you first saw the farm. rocky mountains yeah. especially if you didn't know they existed how, how much of the country did they know existed before they made the trip when you see the map that they started with it was here's the mississippi river and we know that this river goes this way and everything else was unmarked they came back they took this map and they marked it up you see meriwether lewis's um, annotations in the map as they went along so it's astonishing they, it it really was and the library of Co congress has that meriwether lewis annotated map and we showed that and it was it was you know a little chilling and their accuracy 
as cartologists was pretty remarkable. You know, we're used to we're used to drones and, and satellite images and, and right. uh, accuracy. Uh, having our it, iPhone with us all the time yes. so we know where we are. When, when, yeah. in, in terms of Louisiana being, they purchased it, the U.S. purchased it from France in 1803. So presumably the French had maps. They did. I mean, th this area had been explored. It had just never been all the way. The, the original goal was to go down the Missouri River which is 2,300 plus miles, the longest river in, in the States. And they tracked the Missouri River all the way to its uh, headwaters in Montana. But their, their charge was to get to the Pacific Ocean. That's another 700 miles. So they ended up through various machinations on the Columbia River. And that's how they got to Oregon. I mean, the astonishing thing is, even 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 in the beginning in the middle of the 19th century we all know the story of the the donna party of how difficult it was to travel across the country so this was 50 right. years before the great treks westward andrew one person died on this trip one of the one of the uh how uh, many were in the party uh, peter about four dozen about four dozen started all men and one died and it was a burst appendix and it wasn't anything to do with necessarily the uh the voyage itself or the i mean these were tough itself. men they don't look particularly tough looking at their 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 photos now they look like right. genteel anglo-american white men but they must have been pretty tough i agree a lot of the images that we showed throughout the program you see um the the men in their regalia when they are meeting with uh, Indian chiefs or with a new new nation, but when they were on their keelboats and they're they're rowing like this and oaring, going against the current, by the way, um, they were dressed pretty, you know, day to day in in rugged shirts and uh, breeches, things like that. Um, but yeah, th this was a this was a pretty pretty well chosen group there were medical people there were there were uh biologists you know um there were simply strong oarsmen so they stuck yes yeah, astonishing stuck it um yeah. it, it's it's a wonderful months. story we are we are talking with peter slen executive producer at c-span are you the formal in, uh, are you the executive producer of the whole show the the 10 books that shaped america i know you do all the interviews what's your formal title yeah. in terms of the show well I, i'm the executive producer of our book tv and our american history tv units so uh, i would say um peter you are the equivalent of lewis well. and clark at c-span is that fair <laughs> you are the lewis and clark at c-span you know you are discovering you, territory never found before <laughs> in the history of man is that right well, I, I, I think I'm, I, I would be the, uh, the third man to land on the moon rather than the first. Wow. So. It's better to be third than not show up <laughs> at all. In all seriousness, though, Peter, this was a colonial expedition. Maybe there wasn't a lot of slaughter along the way. There were only 40 white men. What about the dark side of this? I know you talked uh -huh. about it with, um, uh, with uh, the... the um, with uh stephanie ambrose tubbs who was on the show to what extent was this pretty much when you 
take away all the flowery language, just another colonial expedition. It could have just as easily been in Africa, white men supposedly uh, discovering Africa, but actually seizing right. the territory. Yeah. Um, this voyage was not a seize. This, again, as I talked about earlier when Meriwether Lewis writes that this is the first time civilized man had had uh, been in this area. That's that's kind of the attitude they had back then, and that was the dark side. They're all they were saved a couple of times by Indian nations, and they called them Indians. So I'll use that term. Um, but Sakajawea Shoshone, she spent. She traveled with them a long distance and was not necessarily a guide, but she was an interpreter and she eased eased them in through different native lands. And they could have been wiped out a couple of times by some of these Indian nations. And why did she do it? First. Was it out of friendship, out of money, out of love? Her, um, her husband was a French trader, a white man, and um, her motivation, I, I'm not going to try to try to discern whether it was profit, whether it was, you know, love. I, I, they took her with, they grabbed, they grabbed her, they picked her up in Fort Mandan, North Dakota. She went to Montana with them, and then they brought her back. And she had a she had her son with her, as well, Jean Baptiste. So this was, it was a pretty remarkable thing that Sakajawea did with these with William and Clark, or with uh, Lewis and Clark. How, how is she so, viewed? I mean, she's in some ways, I guess, the hero of the book. How is she viewed or was she viewed by Native Americans? Was she seen as a traitor in a way? Uh, not from everything that I've heard and learned about this. And I, I can't speak to that any further than that, Andrew, I'm afraid. Um, but I will tell you that her due as a historical figure was late coming in this country and has been rectified in many ways. Her role has been celebrated and honored. There are more statues of Sakajawea in the States than any other woman. Of course, we had the, uh, the dollar coin named in her honor as well. And I'm sure there are um, some stamps, there are lots of stamps to honor this, but I'm sure there's a, a a stamp of her as well many stamps. I, I i would i would presume there is that I, I don't know but i can tell you that her role has been honored as of late at the time it was not so much you you mentioned earlier pete when i asked you whether it was a colonial expedition you said no um it was uh, a fact-finding mm -hmm. one but isn't geography a kind of power and that the right the what i that uh, these me, guys were doing were acquiring it was a sort of cart yes. cartolo uh, cartological 
expedition to discover the country, which would then later get seized by yes. the military. Is there power in maps? And does that does this expedition prove the power of geography and mapping? Oh, I, I think it does. And I think you're right. What I indicated was that this is was not a seizure trip. This was not a plant the flag trip. I mean, essentially, the Louisiana Territory was now part of America because we bought it from a European country. So in that sense, they thought of this territory as their own already. Um, but this trip was a surveillance trip. This was a surveillance. This was a, a bit of let's find out what's out there and what's dangerous and where we should in the future direct our resources. So in that sense, Andrew, you could say it was a, a kind of a colonial. Yeah, adventure. and even that word that you, you use, Peter, surveillance, I mean, that's mm -hmm. a rather chilling word in our age of ubiquitous digital surveillance it was it was hey what's out there uh who's friendly who's not who can we count on who do we have to be a, a, alert to so it, in that sense yeah there there was that angle of it it was a security angle in terms of we, we mentioned earlier that we did the federalists last week and last week i asked you whether jefferson was on board the federalist argument and I think there is some doubt whether he really was a true federalist. He, he certainly had some intellectual sympathies with the anti-federalists. Mm -hmm. Is this an example, though, in the way that Jefferson sponsored it? Is this an example of one of the first decisive actions of the American state of this unified government? 1803. I think you could say that. Yes, I mean... Jefferson did see a need for expansion. And I will tell you that his purchase was celebrated. He did not, when he requested funds for the Lewis and Clark expedition, he tried to do it quietly with Congress. He sent a, it wasn't a secret letter, but it was very quiet because he didn't want the other European nations to know what he was doing. So there was an aspect that, hey, what we're doing here is for the expansion in power and of America and not to let our enemies know about this. So I, I, I like what you had to say that this was one of the first big federal projects that happened in the States. And I think that's a good way of putting it. Jefferson, of course, Thomas Jefferson is notoriously controversial in his relationship on slavery, in relationship with his own slaves, sexual and otherwise. Um, is there an element here too? Jefferson was the guy, of course, who popularized the romanticization of the land. What was his attitude towards the Native Americans, the people who actually lived on this land, but didn't treat it in the same propertied way that the Europeans did? Um, is that itself a, a manifestation of the American, shall we say, hypocrisy that eventually resulted in the tragic elimination of most Native Americans, certainly of their land and their culture and even their people? 
you know, we did not get into Jefferson's attitude toward Native Americans. We did talk about, and you can draw your own conclusions, that this was a surveillance trip as well as a look for the passage to the Northwest Territory and, and, and uh, commerce and profitability. So we did look we did look at those, but we did not necessarily get into Thomas Jefferson's attitude toward Native Americans. What about Lewis and Clark, though? Did they understand when they saw the Native Americans, did they understand that they saw land and particularly the ownership of land differently from the Europeans? Whoops, I think my I, my earpods just went out, Andrew. Let me repeat the question. Uh -oh. um, <laughs> Lewis and Clark, did they understand that the only land was treated differently by the native peoples who lived on the land that they were traveling through? I apologize to you. I was in a meeting earlier, and I had these on for too long, I'm afraid. Uh, can you hear me now? I can hear you, Andrew. Thank you. Sorry It's about the that. ghost of Lewis and Clark interfering in our <laughs> conversation. Uh, my question was about whether or not Lewis and Clark understood that ownership of this land was seen very differently from the native peoples who had been inhabiting these lands for hundreds, maybe even, I don't know, thousands of years in comparison with the Europeans who, who saw land in terms of ownership. They knew what their charge was, which was a commercial charge. Hey, let's open this up to commerce and is the Missouri River navigable for commerce? So in that sense, they knew what their charge was, whether or not they, we did not get into the, uh, the Native American aspect of this program was more about how they dealt on a day-to-day -day basis with the different na uh, nations. And it was not so much about, um, the treatment of the land in that sense. And did they think, I mean, this was an America, of course, where slavery already existed. Did they, did Lewis or Clark write about these Native Americans in the context of, for example, African American slaves? Did they think about them in any racialized or cultural way? Or did they just treat them as people who happened to inhabit this land that they themselves also inhabited? Oh, I, I think you can draw the conclusion that they had Eurocentric attitudes toward whom they were meeting. Again, the use of the word civilized. William Clark wrote that the Indians, much astonished at my black servant, call him big medicine. This nation never saw a black man before. William Clark brought along York, his, his black slave, refers to him as a servant, but it was a slave. Um, so I, I, I don't think they consciously were aware of their attitudes, but I think they existed, absolutely. Now, Sakajawea, well, she was married to a white man, so that probably gave her a little bit of, you know, status, but she was an integral part of this voyage of this expedition so whether or not they came back with respect they did invite the native chiefs to meet with jefferson 
And they called Jefferson now the great white father on this voyage. So that also gives you a sense of where they were coming from in their heads. One of the chiefs did make it to Washington to meet with Jefferson, but none of the others did. So. And I presume that York, uh, I don't know if he had a first name or a last name, Clark Slave, didn't contribute to this book. He did not contribute necessarily to the journals, but he certainly contributed on the expedition, as did every other man there. Well, it's good stuff, Peter. It's a wonderful series. Uh, next up is, appropriate Frederick enough, we Douglas. just talked about slavery, the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass. Yeah, this was the first of uh, Douglass's three autobiographies. Don't spoil it, Peter, because we're going to talk about it next week, but it's exciting. Who have you got on the show to discuss it, and when's it on? It is on Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be live. We'll take viewers' phone calls as well. Edna Green Medford is our main guest. She is a longtime Howard University historian. She's been a friend of C-SPAN for, gosh, 35 years. We, you know, she's just one of our, our go-to historians. She's delightful. We'll also be talking with John Stauffer of Harvard for a short while. He's done some work about Frederick Douglass and photography. Frederick Great. Douglass. Well, people will have to listen, watch, and then we'll have you back on next week to discuss. Frederick right, Douglass. Good week to you. Good week.